Ladies and gentlemen, coming to you early, coming to you often, welcome to yet another edition of the Brilliantly Dumb Show on Big Game Bob, coming to you on your local airwaves, however you're listening, whyever you're listening. Folks, we're just happy you are indeed listening. We got an action-packed show for you folks today. I got a lot on my mind. I got a lot to say. We got a lot to announce. We got our beloved friend of the pod, Forrest Galante, joining us today for an interview. Forrest Galante is one of my favorite people on the planet, and um, he's a wildlife biologist. He was a host on Animal Planet. He, he's just one of the most fascinating guys I've ever met. He's been, he's been bit by a shark twice. He's been in two, two plane accidents, uh, two plane, uh, two, you said it right, Bob, keep it going. Trust yourself there, big cat. He's been on two plane accidents in his life. Um, one of them in Africa, he's just fascinating. And he was recently in Africa and was chased out of Africa by the African government. It, it is just a wild, fascinating story. I, I love this guy. He's been on the podcast numerous times. So we're going to get to Forrest Galante, hear this story. It's fucking nuts. As soon as I saw it, I said to him, I said, Forrest, you got to come on the podcast. He's ready to go. Love this man, a true friend of the pod. Um, and, and ladies and gentlemen, you know this stance. You know that I would not preach something to you if I didn't stand by it, if I didn't believe it. Rowback Golf Apparel, before we get going here, is the only golf apparel you'll ever need. For those of you watching on the YouTube right now, you see me with the bucket hats. Get yours today. You're going to get 15% off your first purchase, your first rowback purchase using promo code BOBBY, B-O-B-B-Y. Ladies and gentlemen, join the family, join the movement that is rowback, the best golf apparel out there, sports apparel out there, rowback.com. Promo code Bobby. You cannot miss with rollback. Another thing that I wanted to announce, ladies and gentlemen, I always felt that the one thing I think we were really lacking on um, that we needed to improve was our merchandise game. The Brilliant Dumb Show merch for the um, you know for the fans out there. I wanted to get a good merch line rolling out. Um, through a friend of a friend, we I, I I got a new guy doing our merch now. And we are rolling out brand new merch starting today. For those of you folks listening Tuesday morning, new merchandise is out, top quality. I fucking love it. The Brilliantly Dumb Show, the Brilliantly Dumb Country Club logo design is on there. It's spectacular. Give that a go, brilliantlydumb.com. Um, enjoy the new merchandise, ladies and gentlemen. I truly feel we finally got the merch right. I think it's top of the line, the product, the quality out of this world get on the merch train now let's talk jeff bezos here for a second this guy has the game of life by the balls he won he dominated he destroyed it and yet he's still playing he's still going he won the game of life he continues to play he's like that friend that you play in madden on playstation When you're down 35 points and you decide to just quit and chuck your controller to the side, but your friend keeps playing, he keeps running plays, although there's nobody playing against him, that's Jeff Bezos right now. Nobody's playing against him. Nobody's contesting him. Nobody's even there on the other side, but he just keeps playing. Bezos announced his retirement on June 5th and just announced the other day 
that he's becoming an astronaut. He started Blue Origin Space Travel, which is going to be the competitor with Elon Musk's SpaceX. I thought retirement was exactly what my dad does. My dad retired a year ago. He takes two naps a day. He goes to the grocery store twice a day, one time to get fresh produce in the morning, the next time because he doesn't really have a whole lot else to do. He plays on a softball league two times a week, even though he doesn't even like softball. And he could name you the entire Somerset Patriot Yankees minor league systems team, their lineup from start to finish. He knows everybody playing on the Somerset Patriots. He could tell you the name and their number, as well as the Yankees' entire organization, of course. And my dad lives a beautiful retirement. I want to know who's coming out of the Yankees' farm system. I want to know a little bit about the Somerset Patriots. So, yeah, dad, tough loss for the Yankees today. He goes, yeah, you know what? Tough loss. However, keep an eye out for this Hector Nunez kid should be called up to the big leagues next week. Next thing you know, I wake up one time next week, Hector Nunez has been assigned from the Somerset Patriots to the New York Yankees. It's a beautiful retirement. My dad's got nothing to do. And that's the type of retirement that I want, but not Jeff Bezos. Not Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos is worth $200.5 billion. And I hate, the guy from Wikipedia that decided to add on that 0.5 to his net worth, $200.5 billion. Nothing will make you feel more subpar than hearing Jeff Bezos' name. But Jeff Bezos has announced that he is going to be going up to space. I don't know when, but he's going to be traveling up to space. My question, why? Why, Jeff Jeff, if you're listening to the Brilliantly Dumb Show right now, possible friend of the pod, what about your experience on planet Earth would make you want to go up to space and try something different? They always say that the grass is always greener on the other side. In Jeff Bezos' case, there isn't any other grass on the other side. There's no color to the grass because there is no fucking grass. This guy's got it made. The only thing on the other side, I guess in space, is mud and moon rocks. This guy doesn't have to lift a finger on planet Earth. Why go up to space, Jeff? Why risk it all? I don't get it. Imagine trying to keep Jeff Bezos happy in in space. Guy's used to eating lobster omelets for breakfast. And in space, he'll be lucky to get a bowl of Cheerios. The gravity probably sends all the milk up to the ceiling of the rocket ship. Jeff Bezos might not even get milk with his Cheerios. Imagine just seeing Jeff Bezos trying to eat Cheerios out of midair. A guy who had the world by the balls and here he is totally out of his element in space. Just trying to snag a few Cheetos so that he could eat. Shove those things through his space suit. Why do it, Jeff? I just don't get it. What can space provide you that planet Earth cannot? Maybe a view? And even that, I think there's something that he could figure out. That guy could have NASA at his door in a matter of minutes to build a space simulator in his fucking closet. I just don't get it.
I just don't get it. Before we move on, I, I, I'll actually tell you folks a, a good Jeff Bezos story. I, I'm working at the Four Seasons Hotel, as we all know. Um, and I got a lot of s- stories from the the Four Seasons, the, all the different shit, the different people that you see. And we were running an event. I was the guest services manager in valet out front. And uh, they told us that there was going to be a very special guest coming to the ballroom event that night. And they wouldn't even tell us who the guest is. And anytime one of my bosses would not even be able to tell you who the VIP is, you knew it was going to be somebody big. We're talking massive, whether it's presidents, there's been presidents, um, world leaders, whatever it is, if they didn't tell you who the VIP was going to be, it's going to be somebody huge. So I'm waiting outside, two Cadillacs pull up, completely blacked out. First car, bunch of security hops out, okay? Now it's my job at the Four Seasons to make sure not a single door goes untouched. So I usually open every door. That's how I spend my days, just opening doors. I go to open the back Escalade's door. One of the security from up front comes in a full sprint and just checks me right in the, in the chest. Just a nice little four check like you see in the Islander game. Just press me right to the check and it blows me back a little bit. Out the door comes Jeff Bezos. And I'm thinking to myself, I understand that this guy's the reason that I can have paper towels delivered to my door in the same day, but this ain't fucking Mick Jagger, okay? If you're going to stiff arm me like that, it better be John Lennon walking out of the car back from the dead. This guy just stuck me right in the chest. Turns out it's Jeff Bezos, but Bezos comes walking out the door And the only thing that I could see, he goes to like step on the the Cadillac step, you know, to get out. This shoe had to be made out of anaconda skin. This shoe, I I shit you not, was nothing short of $50,000. Now, I'm not big into the fashion game, but I know damn well it was probably the most expensive shoe I've ever seen in my life. And I thought to myself... Maybe I did deserve that stiff arm. Maybe I did deserve that check to the chest. And sure enough, there he was, Bezos walking right on out. But I just, I I won't be able to understand the space play. And if he comes back safe, good on you, Jeff. But the grass ain't always greener, ladies and gentlemen. In the meantime, we are going to be moving on to... A phenomenal interview with Forrest Galante. I can't get enough of this guy. Again, I said it earlier, Animal Planet host, host of the show Extinct or Alive. Um, He was on the show Naked and Afraid, where they send you out into the wild. Last man standing wins, however they work it out. Forrest Galante got one of the highest, highest scores, the highest score that the show Naked and Afraid ever had. He, he was starting fires. He was finding a way to eat, fishing, the whole nine yards. Um, has a very successful career, but is one of the most fascinating guys I've ever met. He has absolutely no fear. And, and what I love about the guy most is he just loves doing what he's doing. And that's working with animals, wildlife biology. He's seen it all. And he has absolutely no fear. He's been on the podcast before. We toured his house. That's on YouTube, which was a blast. And he's really become a good friend of mine. And, and what I'm going to play you folks now before we step into the interview 
is the clips from Forrest Galante's Instagram story. I want to say two weeks ago, he was trying to leave Africa. He was being chased out of Africa by the African government because he was trying to uh, save an alligator or some exotic alligator. He was trying to go into Africa and save. Um, and it, the whole story, it's just nuts. All right, so huge fucking stress this morning. Um, in the middle of the night, the military and secret police showed up. We're managing to hold them off uh, by giving them a bunch of fake paperwork. But here's the situation. Um, we're in an area that hasn't had tourists in over three years, right? We show up, we're the first people here. We've come to save a crocodile and help the village, help the community because they're gonna kill this man-eating croc, right? Well, when we get here, we find out that a corrupt government official has taken a bribe from a Chinese logging company, okay? That Chinese logging company has paid him tons and tons of money. And we, we weren't even gonna document this. We were just gonna go about our business on the river. But when he found out there was a film crew here, he sent a reward on our heads, right? So now there are these guys here to try and kill us, or maybe not kill us, but take us in and confiscate all our gear and film equipment because if this Mozambican official gets found out, then he's in big trouble. So now we're on the run. We have two planes waiting for us on a private airstrip. Um, in the bush, which is about a 40 minute boat ride from here. And we're loading up. Good guys? Yeah, okay, excellent, you can go. Um, and they're loading up all the gear. We're getting the other boat ready right now. And we're getting out of here as quickly as we can because otherwise we're all gonna disappear and so is our equipment. So wish us luck. Here's some fun um, African politics. Yeah, things never change here, that's for sure. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating interview with the guy. We love Forrest Galante here on the Brownlee Dump Show. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's send it on over to Forrest Galante. And we got our Ask Bob questions coming up after. Bobby, my man. How Mr. are you, brother? Mr. Forrest Galante, ladies and gentlemen. What are we sipping on tonight, Forrest? Oh, man. I've just come back from Africa. I'm drinking drinking what I call Africa water, just a delightful gin and tonic. It's important. It's for my health. It's for my safety. It keeps the mosquitoes away. Can't not do it. I saw you on this flight back from Africa and I'm watching uh -huh. the Instagram story. First things first, good thing that they got Wi-Fi on there. Damn right. Because how long are you looking at for us? How long of a flight are you looking at? Let's see. It was two hours to Johannesburg, 12 hours to Doha, 14 hours to New York, and then six hours to Los Angeles. Something so if, like you're that. Not, if you're not sleeping, what is Forrest Galante doing? We're rolling, by the way, Forrest. No, we, why wouldn't we roll? No, look, I, I, I'm sitting there hating life. Occasionally, I'll, I'll have a few too many drinks and leave that you. to passing out. I, you have to do it when you're Good on for you. Plane. And I, are they coming around to you often on these flights to Africa? Like... Are, are, there, are they coming around to you often with drinks guaranteed that you're going to have service on the flight? Because nowadays, there's not as much service on the flight. Oh, man, the service on those like international airlines is so much better than the service on American Airlines or Delta or something. They're there every five minutes. They're asking you if you want a snack. They're usually cutting me off around hour 12. But regardless... Uh, the service is great. They know they know that I need my cocktail to get through those flights. I think I'm a better person when you're coming on the podcast and when you're back in the states. I stay connected with you. I like it. And when you when you're ready to come on the podcast, you always got something going on. Yeah, okay. it's a busy life, man. And uh, look, I always love hanging out with you. We always have a blast. It, it's 
It's always fun. I'm a terrible friend. You can ask any of my close friends because I just disappear for months at a time. Nobody hears from me. Everyone thinks I'm dead. And then I kind of like pop up in a Speedo with a can of White Claw. And I'm like, but, let's go. Let's see what happens. But you like that though, Forrest. You like getting out there. And I feel like you could shut off the phone two weeks, no problem, as long as cameras are rolling for you. Nope, not even, man. No cameras, no phone. I don't care. I, I love shutting down the devices, getting off of this crap unplugging for two three weeks at a time and i'm lucky because it's part of my job you know i get to go out there and unplug for a while you got a book out just came out still alive what i always say to you is in all honesty it's amazing that you actually still are alive and i don't know if you meant to be joking around when people see the title of this book little do they know about still alive it, it is amazing that you still are alive <laughs> um yeah i guess uh, I mean, I, I, the way I see it is I'm like a cat, man. I got nine lives. I've used up like four or five of them. You know, it's a, it's a lot of fun. You would think after all the shit that you've been in and all the, all the shit that you've been through, Forrest, you would you think that you would have some sort of fear, okay? And, and talking about the book and what led you here, you would think that you would have some, some sort of fear being in the accidents that you were in, plane accidents, you've been bit by a shark. There's no fear in you. Uh, no, I wouldn't say that's entirely true. I, I think there's a difference between being stupid and being brave, right? Being, being stupid is having no fear at all. Being brave is having fear, but knowing when to push through it anyway. And I'm not saying I'm the world's bravest man, but I've put myself into situations where I, I definitely am pretty scared and I just try and figure out how to navigate it anyway. Do you need the adrenaline rush at some point for you know, People have asked me that. I, I'm not a typical adrenaline junkie because like skydiving, bungee jumping, that stuff doesn't interest me. Like it's cool. I've done some of it, but it doesn't do anything for me. I don't need to do it every week. And that's like your typical adrenaline junkie, right? Whereas I guess when I like, I don't want to give away too much about what's coming up, but the shoot Fire I was just first. Fire yeah, up. the shoot I was just on, there was this crocodile that had been causing a lot of problems, killed five people the week I got there. And I got, I got asked to try and solve the problem. Anyway, we baited this crocodile in and I could see him perfectly clearly from about 30 feet away in the blind, but something told me, and don't I, and I don't mean this in a spiritual way. Something was in my brain was like, you got to get down there and get closer. So I belly crawled on the sand to about three feet away from the 17 foot tall, long man eating crocodile. Just with the, with the end game being what though? What's the end game there? Well, the end game was I had to solve the problem, but at that moment, I just wanted to get closer to him. I, I don't have a good reason. I just did. And thankfully nothing happened. I can tell you, I got a stern talking to by some of my colleagues when we got done because they were like, you're an idiot. But it was, uh, it was wild, dude. And you feel confident even like in all these situations that we had as far as the villages that you go out to and all of that stuff. Do you feel confident if something does go wrong, being that you're in third world countries, that you could go to the people you need to go to? I feel confident that my team will do their best to take care of me no matter what happens and that they're very capable. But typically we're way too goddamn far out there and too removed from anything to deal with it. Like, you know, I like... I, what am I trying to say? In other words, if there were a major accident, I don't think there's a lot that could be done in most of the places we go. It's too you far. Know that, you know that going into it? 
Yeah, of course. But that's okay. I mean, let's just not have any major accidents, you know? <laughs> I was watching your Instagram story. And I, this to me was absolutely nuts. Now your phone had to blow up when this was going on. You were putting it in story. Yeah, it did. I've seen you do a lot of wild shit. This to me had me to where I was hoping that you would keep posting to keep us updated. Can you hit us with the story you had in Africa? Yeah, man. Um, all right. So on that same mission that I was just telling you about to work with this crocodile, um, we went to an area where there hasn't been any tourists in three years. Like COVID is a factor, but corruption, crime, violence, everything else, there are all these factors. So no tourists have been there in three years, right? For the first people to go there in three years. Well, in those, this is in Mozambique, Eastern Africa. During those three years, what we found out when we hit the ground was that there is a minister, a politician who's in charge of the region, right? And these Chinese logging companies have come in there and they're asking if they can cut down old growth timber for whatever reason. And he has taken a huge bribe from this Chinese logging company to allow, allow them to cut down protected forests. Now we were there to catch crocodile. We weren't there to talk about woods and forest. And I didn't even know this was going on. But when the first people to show up in three years to this guy's managed area was a film crew, he automatically assumed we were there to expose what he was doing. And so he's like, he's like, I'm going to bury them. Like, he's like, literally, they're going to disappear. So, so he, did you have any interaction with him at all when you went none, there? None. To this day, we've had no interaction with him. So what you happened had, was... You, sorry, you have no idea this is going on. No, but, you know, it's a, it's a remote area. And all of a sudden, five gringos with cameras show up that have never been there before. Like, word got out and it got out quick. So this, this news spread like wildfire and everybody thought that, well, not everybody, but it got back to this minister who's in charge of this area. And he thought that we were there to expose it. So, uh, you know, that, that was it. It was, uh, it was him. He was, he was out to get us. He was going to confiscate our cameras. I don't know what he would have done with us. I don't know if he would have locked us up, if we would have disappeared completely. We were remote and this is Mozambique where things are pretty corrupt. Anyway, what happens is, this guy comes running into our camp in, at like, it's not that early, it's not that late. It's probably like 1231 in the morning. And it's like, he's like yelling to us. And he's like, the minister is sending the military. Like, you're like, this is a problem. This is a problem. Uh, and we're like, well, what's going This guy's name was Isaac. And we're like, what's going on, Isaac? Like, help us understand. And he explains the situation to us that I just explained to you. And now and I, is Isaac part of your crew? No, he was like a local hire. He was helping facilitate everything on the ground over there. But, you know, he had got wind that this minister had got wind of us. So it's this whole game of telephone. It's all super confusing. Anyway, we basically pass out, go to sleep because it's like one in the morning. We're, wo we're woken up at like 4.30 in the morning by 15 guys with AK-47 surrounding our camp. Uh, in now, is, is, your, is your crew scared at this point? Because to me, this is why you're so fucking nuts. <laughs> because right now I'm picturing you here in Africa, okay? And I picture you getting woken up and you're not that scared. Uh, no, I wasn't scared at this point because- Now you look, grew if they up in Africa. Well, I grew up in Africa. Also, if they, if they wanted us dead, we'd already be dead, right? There's 15 guys with, with AK-47 surrounding us. They didn't need to surround us. Like it would have been pretty easy to, to just shoot us and walk away. So, you know, like we're already like, 
there's a hint of oh crap i think what was going through my mind was uh shit, here goes all our footage like we're gonna lose this thing that we that's why and that force is why you're nuts <laughs> if, if 15 guys in africa show up for me wake me up with ak-47s the last thing i'm thinking of is, is content at that point yeah, well, I, I mean, I guess that's what crossed my mind. I'm like, geez, we have, you know, a million dollars. I'm making this up worth of footage on our hard drives and it's all going to disappear. So these guys show up, they surround us. It's still dark. It's, it's early in the morning. They're standing by our boats so that we can't flee. They're totally surrounding us. Can you, even, can you even have a conversation with them? Or- so I speak, so in that region of Mozambique, they speak, it's like it, I, they speak a little bit of the Shauna language and I still speak a little bit of the Shauna language where I grew up. So it's like, it's like Spanglish, you know, it's just a mess of words that like, you're kind of getting your point across. Um, it wasn't their primary language, certainly not mine. So there's a little bit going on. They were clearly angry with you? No, they couldn't have cared less. They were kind of sleepy eyed and lazy looking, but they'd been sent by this, this minister, right? This politician. So Isaac, the guy I'm talking about, starts communicating with them and he sits down with them and we're all very cordial and like they're, they're surrounding us. But the boss guy, he like sits down. We start handing him paperwork, explaining we're here. We're working with crocodiles, blah, 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 blah. And, and I can see that it's going nowhere. It's falling on deaf ears. So I say to Isaac and, uh, and, and the, the boss military guy, I'm like, look, go and get your boss and we'll sort this out, meaning the main guy. And he kind of like scratches his head and he basically tell, communicates to us, like, I can't get a hold of him. He's like an hour and a half away. And I'm like, don't worry, we'll make a nice breakfast. And when you come back, we'll have everything ready and we'll sit down with your boss and we'll sort this out. But, but, but before, what, to you, I mean, don't you think, don't you worry, okay, if I piss this guy off, okay, he travels from an hour and a half away. Is it is it worth the crocodile at that point? Well, well just wait, because you're going to hear the rest of the story. So this is a ruse, because I know that we're in deep shit. So the guy says to me, he's like, give me some of your, ca- give me your cameras, and then I will go and get my boss, so that we can't film anything, right? So I go, sure, no problem. The night before, when they approached us, I told Mitch, back everything up on the hard drives, hide them in the bottom of your dirty laundry, and put aside crap cameras, like put aside the handy cams for GoPros, you know, like the crap cameras that we use, not the nice cameras. So Mitch comes running over. He's got a basket of cameras. It's two like, you know, $500 handy cams that we use at night and a bunch of GoPros, which are cheap as crap and a hard drive with like some drone aerials on it, you know, like that we've set this all up. So the guy looks at it and he like kind of nods his head and he goes, okay, I'll be back with my boss. And we're like, fuck, what are we going to do now? Sure enough, and I'm sure this guy definitely got in trouble over it, he leaves and takes with him all 14 other guys with AK-47s. Well, the second their cars pull out of our region, I'm like, get in the canoes, let's go, get the airplanes, blah, blah, blah. So we're on the satellite phone, we're calling the charter service, the charter service is sending the planes, and we are rushing. And we know that we have a ticking clock of about an hour and a half until the guy shows up, figures out we're not there, and we're fleeing. So you think, so he actually called his boss and his boss was actually going to end up coming in an hour and a half? Don't know. Couldn't tell you. But as soon as those... You had no idea how far away they are. Nope. No idea. But as soon as those guys pulled their trucks out of there, which with the intent to come back, we bailed and we bailed fast because that's how people disappear in Africa. That's how your gear gets stolen, everything. So we had the charter service on the line. There, the flight was only an hour, fortunately, and it took us about an hour to get to the airstrip. So 
from when we called to when we landed, we got there right as the planes landed, loaded in and took off and now, we did now not who, go back. Who's this charter service that Forrest Galante calls? <laughs> it's um, a Mozambican charter service called Safari Air that we had contracted for the work. They were great. They were they'll, they'll come to you even if the government's going at you. They don't give a shit. But we didn't we didn't add that detail in. We just said we need to pick up right now. <laughs> I think if they'd known that their airplane was gonna get bullet holes in it, they probably wouldn't have shown up. <laughs> you crazy son of a bitch. You really uh, are. You're out of you're out of your mind. You're yeah. out, and as you guys are running to the boats, I'm looking at you, Forrest, and I'm kind of thinking to myself, in a sick, fucked up way, I think you're kind of enjoying the adrenaline rush. A little bit. Yeah, you are. a little bit. It's yeah, kind of fun. You are. Well, you never know what's going to happen, and that's cool. You know, that's that's why I like doing what I do. You never know what's going to happen. Forrest, I'll, I'll tell you what, what was going to happen. I'll tell you right now, because I asked you. And this is just to go show how nuts you are. I texted you after I saw all these stories. Yeah, I remember that. I called Joey Coldcuts. I said, mm-hmm. have you seen what's going on with Galante right now? <laughs> what did Joey he said, say? He said, hold on, I'll call you right back. So he goes, he looks, he goes, this guy's out of his fucking mind. <laughs> I said, he's totally nuts. I said, but if they caught up to you, what would they have done? I'll save the rest for the pod, but I got to know. You know what your response is? I don't remember. What did I say? Kill or imprisonment. And yeah, I think that's are, what they would have done. You're, you're, you're videotaping you sprinting to the boats. Okay, you got about how many people were with you, Forrest? Uh, there was only like eight of us at that point. That okay, and you're there. telling yeah. one of their boats, go, go, go. Yeah. Move yep. forward. Yep. Then you guys go. You guys go over to the airstrip. But, but Forrest, I mean, you got to think in a way, and I know you, you grew up in Africa, but this is life or death for you could have been yeah for sure i mean that's that's part of the fun though isn't it you're uh you never know what's gonna happen that's why we got out of there when we did and when you got out of there when the plane takes off is there's this big relief like okay huge. we're good yeah huge sigh of relief like because i remember as the planes were taking off we were looking down and i don't know to this day or not whether it was the military but there were two trucks coming on the horizon on the dirt road um, and we went like this way and the trucks were coming this way. So we could see these two trucks and two trucks are what left our camp. No idea if it was the same two trucks. It could have been total coincidence. There's I not mean, a lot of vehicles out there. How but, many trucks can there be out there for us? Well, exactly. So, yeah, so that was pretty wild. I tried to grab my phone and film it. But by the time I did, you know what it's like taking a video outside of an airplane window. It's 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 a waste. But yeah, so we got out of there. It all worked out. It was uh, it was pretty crazy for sure. It was pretty fun. <laughs> Do you call your wife when you get on the plane and say we made it and then fill her in on what just happened? No, I don't tell her about that stuff. That'll worry her for nothing. What, is she finding this out on Instagram for us? Nah, she doesn't have Instagram. She, 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 don't, know. she don't know. No, but I'll tell you something that's, that's really funny, Robbie. So those videos that I filmed were for the U.S. consulate because I'm like, if we disappear, the U.S. consulate needs to know where and what happened. But I filmed them on my iPhone two days away from cell phone service. We were talking about this earlier in the show. So by the time I posted them, I was in a delightfully comfortable hotel with my feet by in, hanging in the pool. And people were like, oh my God, are you okay? Like, what's going on? And I'm like, oh shit, this is like deceiving because people thought it was real time, but it happened two days ago. Of <laughs> course, I was one of them. <laughs> no, totally. And I'm like, I'm like, huh, this is like, you know me, like I, I make honest TV and honest, you know, honest documentaries. So I was like, 
this feels really deceiving, like putting all this out there two days later because it's all over. Like I'm sitting here with a Mai Tai, and, like it's and, done. <laughs> right, but you got it on footage to where you, you were two days out of having any type of signal whatsoever. Yeah. So yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have done a whole lot had you got it though? No, and that was kind of in hindsight. I was like, why did I bother filming that for the consulate? Like they never would have got it. There was no way I could have right. shared that. You know, they would have just taken my phone. Maybe I would have prison pocketed the old cell phone until I got to town or something. But uh folks, I, I cannot stress it enough. You must protect your ball sack. They are fragile down there. They are vulnerable. And I am tired of nicks and cuts on my testicles. And I won't go down unless it's the best of the best that's trimming them from now on. And that's why I got manscaped. Protect your nuts, ladies and gentlemen. And the best way to protect them is with the new Lawnmower 4.0. This thing has a light on there for you to ensure that you are being precise and hitting all the targets that you need to hit. I feel like a friggin' coal miner down there with a light on top, just dialed in on my nutsack. You could get dialed in on your nutsack. Use Manscaped today. Get 20% off plus free shipping with promo code 20BOBBY. 20BOBBY. Protect your balls. I know damn sure your balls will thank you. They certainly thank me. They don't talk, but my oh my, if they could, they would say, hey, Thanks for protecting us, Bob. The Lawnmower 4.0 is no joke, ladies and gentlemen. Order and order now. You, you know what, though, Forrest? And as crazy as you are, your crew is pretty crazy, too. They're awesome, man. They roll with the punches. They get it. They've been chased. They've been shot at. They, so you know, you guys we, are we, all, in a way, kind of cut from the same cloth. For sure. No question about it. We all have different skills, different specialties different ideologies, everything, but we're all cut from the same cloth, no doubt. And you know what? What I love about you, Forrest, you could give, you're one of those guys, okay? You've been very successful. You've been on Animal Planet, <laughs> Discovery. You're one of those guys that could give two shits about the money, about fame. You just want to do what you do, wildlife biology, and just hammer away at it. No, that's 100% true. I mean, the part of speaking about the book, you know, what I wrote in the book, the whole reason I wrote about like the book was just to show what wildlife science can be and how I choose chose to like carve my path out and, and stay true to what I wanted to do in the field and space of wildlife science. It, it really, you know, has nothing to do with fame or wealth or anything. And, and I'm not exactly famous or loaded, but, you know, I... I'm very fortunate that I've had the byproduct of success when all I've really done is dug my heels in and followed my passion. And it's a lot of fun, you know? In fact, I, I kind of wish I could do it without TV, to be honest. Like, I'm tired of being in front of the camera. I, I'd rather just do it to do it. But at the end of the day, being on TV pays all the bills, you know? It's, it's like, it allows me to continue to do these amazing things. It's fucking nuts. Let me ask you this. <laughs> honest to God, okay? Yeah. Let's say, and be honest with me, all right. Let's say Netflix says to you, we want to give you a show. You're going to be able to continue to do what you're going to do. Okay. We're going to throw 15 mil at you to have your own show as long as you want to do, but you got to take three years off of wildlife. No, no way. Not, well, a, not even a question. Well, 
You do no. this, you suffer uh, three years and then you're gravy. The rest of your life, you could deal with wildlife. All you want to help as many animals as possible. I'll do it. I'll do it. Because $15 million, it takes me so like- change your, change your heart here, no? No, I do it. I'll take it. I'll tell you why. Because with $15 million, I can do so much for conservation. I can take that money and turn that into saving hundreds of thousands of animals, millions of acres, all kinds of things through my films and through what I do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even, if Netflix gave me that kind of money, I'd put a million dollars into the show and 14 million into conservation. So, I hope you get, I hope you get to Netflix. <laughs> I hope you get to Netflix. Me Netflix. too, man. Me too. But that. yeah, no, I'd do it. But I'll tell you what, that'd be a rough three years. You'd see a real mopey, <laughs> chubby forest sitting over here. Well, I, I even think too, I've been to your house with, with the sanctuary you got going at your house. You give this guy $50 million, the things that you're going to be able to do for animals. Yeah, I would have some fun with it. Jesus, have some fun with it. We should do it together, Robbie. We'll do like an idiot abroad wildlife style show. I, you I and me. Forest, <laughs> some of the times that we've had, because what you've done is really taken me out of my element that I think my it's followers so really appreciate. You had me up on electric electronic surfboards um, all over the place. Tried to get me to go crabbing. We had you. You had me at your house. I mean, it's just, we just got to keep it going for us. It's a lot of fun. I, I, I'm going to keep pitching it till you do it. I'm going to embarrass you on air, call you a sissy until you come it. up and go, go paddle boarding with the great white sharks with me. I've happen. got them on lock. I know where they are. Yes. I'm one of the few people. We're going to get you on a paddle board. Great white sharks swimming around. Can't beat it. It's awesome. There is, I'm telling you right now, there's no way in hell I'm swimming with the gray whites. You want I'm gonna to drug you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna drug you. I'm gonna put Xanax in your morning coffee, <laughs> and you're gonna wake up on a board with sharks all around. Nothing you can do about there it. There was one time that you said to me where I, I, I felt good about it. You said, you know, do you really think there's anything I'll let happen to you? Which made me feel good. It made me actually consider. And then, I mean, that that thought left me second to. <laughs> Seconds away, of course. It just—it would never happen. I don't know, Robbie. We'll see, man. I'm gonna keep pushing for it. Your your audience gonna listen to this and be like, "I want to see Robbie do that." I want to see. Him. Yeah. Of course, and you know what? I don't blame them, and I hate to let them down, but I'm letting them know right now, it, the <laughs> the sharks ain't happening for us. I don't know. We'll see. Time will tell. I've got my plan. It ain't happening. Uh, <laughs> any other trip, by any means, you know that I'm ready for you, Forrest still alive. I want the folks to buy it. it. It's, I just want them to see, cause I talk about you all the time and I tell people how much of a nut you are. <laughs> I want them to see all the shit that you've been through. Because if there's anybody that's going to write a book Forrest, you got plenty of chapters. You know what I mean? You could, yeah. you're a type of guy that could write a book. Yeah, man. It's, it's a fun story. You know, here, here's the thing, Robbie, at the end of the day, like my TV shows, are a 44 minute highlight reel of, of a specific thing that I'm doing, right? Going on an adventure, looking for an animal, whatever. The book is, it's part biological adventure, but it's, it's very strongly part memoir. You know, it talks about where I grew up in Zimbabwe, how my family had to leave the country, uh, how we came here, how I got my foot in the door as a biologist, the things I did in school, how I learned to work with animals. I mean, it lays it all out. And you know, one of the biggest questions I get, if I went on my Instagram right now, I'd have 200 messages from, 20, from 18, 20 year old kids going, I want to be a biologist. What do I need to do? And this book is a blueprint for how I did it. It's not what everybody needs to do, but it's a blueprint for how I did it. Like how I figured out what I wanted to do in the wildlife space 
and how I pushed forward to do that thing that I wanted to do that I thought was the most impactful. Let me ask you, Forrest, to be able to work with wildlife your entire life, is it is it harder, you think, to do what you do? You know what I mean? Like to be able to get where you are, okay, to be able to have that freedom to work with animals your entire life, do you think it is, it's got to be harder than most other careers to be able to do that full time, no? Like, I, I mean, feel like it's, it's, it's a dream. It's a dream for a lot of people. And I just yeah. feel like there's so few people that can do what you do. Well, I think it's one of those things, Robbie, where the grass is always greener on the other side, right? Like the guy who sits in his nine to five office going, man, I wish I could do what Forrest Galante does, doesn't realize that I spend 200 nights a year in a tent, right? I get parasites, bacteria, dysentery i've had fluids coming out all ends at the same time like 10 times a year from all the weird crap we have to eat and go through sunstroke heat stroke skin cancer you name it right i have to spend months of my my year away from my family uh i get trench foot from my feet rotting because they're wet for so long when we're working in swamps like the list goes on and on and on i freaking love that shit though like i'll do that shit all day long and it doesn't bug me because the the greater good of what we do with regards to conservation and wildlife is awesome. And from a selfish standpoint, I love getting to travel and work with the animals, but I never know where my next meal is coming from, my next paycheck, if I'm going to be successful, if I'm going to find the animal, if I'm going to make out of Mozambique alive, if I'm going to get dysentery or sunstroke, I don't know any of these things, right? The guy that's sitting in his office on his nine to five, he knows where his paycheck's coming from. He knows what his 401k looks like. He knows where he's going for dinner nothing's trying to kill him tomorrow. There's not a single ant that's going to bite him and send him into anaphylactic shock. Like, you know, and I'm looking at that guy going, man, freaking Joey office job over there has got it pretty good. Like he knows exactly how much money he's making this year. He's got a roof over his head instead of a tent fly. Like, you know, so grass is always greener kind of thing, right? It's just different strokes for different folks. And I think that what I do a lot of people fan like you look at Instagram, right? And you go, oh my God, this guy's life's incredible. But that picture that you see on Instagram or that thing you see on Discovery Channel, that's like the nice fun moment from the hundreds of hours of shitty crappy moments. So, you know, it, it, like it's it, just remember that those things are a highlight reel. <laughs> Let me ask you something for us. Do you, do you feel bad for people who like don't have a passion? Like they, they can't find their passion? Like you from a young age, you knew what your passion was. You talk to you. It, it's obvious. It comes right out of you. Do you feel bad talking to people, being such a passionate guy and loving what you do? Do you feel bad talking to people who don't necessarily have like or know what their passion is? I, so ask my wife. I have absolutely no empathy, right? I'm, I'm empathy-less. I try having an argument with me. Um, I, uh, I don't. So do I feel bad for them? Maybe the better thing that I'm, what I'm getting at is I just don't understand it. Like, how can you not be passionate about something? I can totally understand it if your passion is motorcycles, which I don't give a shit about, or TV, movies and TV, Great or take. yeah, whatever, right? I don't care what your passion is, but how can you not find something to throw yourself into and be passionate about? Like, it, it, it just comes so naturally. Like, it doesn't matter who you are it's so easy to find something or, or not. It's not easy to find that thing. It can be hard to find that thing. But when you find it, it's so easy to know like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. Like, this is what I need to spend all my time doing. It doesn't matter. You, for you, it's golf, right? Like you freaking love your golf so much 
and it's fucking hilarious. And you can see it in your face when you're golfing, yeah. how much fun you're having 24 seven. Great. Like, but like, how easy was that to figure out that you love golf? Like it just can't, it was just like that. You just knew it. Well, you know what too? I think people can so easily tell as well when you're enjoying it. You know what I yeah, mean? Like I watch one sure. extinct or alive and, and like, it's just so obvious that yeah. you're loving what you're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Steve Irwin, you watch Steve Irwin, who's one of your heroes. Like, it's just so obvious that he loves what he's doing. Same thing with me. I go on the golf course. How the fuck? I, I don't understand how I'm doing this full time. It's but it's my dream. You know what I mean? You, yeah. And you can see it. So when I watch you, it's the same thing that I see. And I it's just it's neat for me to see that you just fucking love it. And that's why I said right. earlier, you don't give a shit about money or 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 anything like that being on tv not on tv you're just doing what you got to do to keep you know your passion alive and doing what you're doing well and i'll tell you this robbie back to your hypothetical earlier if netflix gave me 15 million dollars tomorrow i wouldn't change a thing about my life not one i would do exactly what i'm doing at right now the money the the the, the platform none of it cha- would change a single thing you know, I keep doing exactly what I'm doing, exactly the way I'm doing it. So I'm very, very fortunate that I have found that thing that I love so much and I get to do every day. Of course, do we have, I mean, do we have fun together or do we have fun together? Oh my God, it's, it's great. Every time. I'm always looking for shit that we can go and do every single you, time. I, and I will give you credit for that. You're very good about that. And a lot of times you'll bust my balls. You'll push me because a lot of the things you know are way out of my element. I mean, even something as ridiculous as it might not seem like a big deal for you. Crabbing. Okay. You yeah. wanted me to go crabbing. I go down the water. I don't know what I'm doing. Am I, am I, am I wearing scuba gear? Are we throwing nets out there? Do we stay in the boat? I don't know. Forrest. What do I seem like a stay in the boat kind of guy? (laughs) No, no, you definitely do not Forrest. (laughs) No, we gotta, we gotta do something, man. Robbie, you tell me when you guys have some time, I'm I'm in the middle of like a pretty crazy expedition schedule, but at the end of uh, August, I'm back chilling, catching my breath. Love to go get out there and do something silly. It's got to happen. It's yeah. absolutely got to happen. Uh, Forrest, you're the absolute best. You really do. Joey Coldcut says hello. hello. Jersey Jerry says hello. Still alive, out now. You got to hate having a book. You got to hate where people ask. Show them, Forrest. Put it to the camera, would you? There you go. Boom. There it is. Look at that. Look at that mug right there, ladies and gentlemen. Nice Coming color crazy. palette. That's, that's the tortoise that you found from Extinct. That's the one. That is the big, that's the big cover of Forbes Time Magazine tortoise right there. I thought that fucking tortoise was extinct and you proved that that tortoise was not extinct. 114 years. Unbelievable. (laughs) Unbelievable. You got to, I mean, still alive out now. You got to hate when people say, where do you find it? I mean, people know by now where you find the book. You can buy it anywhere. You can buy books, a bookstore, Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, like, you you know. Just, just tell you, you find it. It's not hard. If I can find an extinct tortoise after 114 years, you can figure out where to buy this book. Boom. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our guy, Forrest Galante, forever and always. Forrest, you're the fucking best, man. Love it, Robbie. Well, folks, there you have it. That's our guy right there, Forrest Galante. Uh, again, I mean, the guy just absolutely blows me away. I. I love his passion. I really do. He loves what he does. Uh, he loves to get after it. The first time me and Forrest met, 
he had just come off Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan asked just exceptional questions to him about animals, wildlife, biology. And the next day I showed up with Joey cold cuts and we came in camo gear to his house and we just looked absolutely ridiculous and he loved it. And he, and he totally understood that we weren't animal people. He kind of just got my vibe right out of the gate and we just hit it off and we've been good friends ever since. Um, just love what he does. I, I really do. He's just an incredible, incredible guy with just an outrageous amount of passion. Um, so there you have it for Scalante. But in the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, we are not done here on the Brilliant Dumb Show. It is time for everybody's favorite segment. Call me crazy. Maybe so. Benny the Jet behind the glass on the ones and twos. It is time for the Ask Bob segment week by week tuesday after tuesday tuesday after friday for you patreon folks i tell you call into our now voicemail which is the number of 848-281-7906 get your questions submitted on the brilliantly dumb show i love this segment i love the voicemail first question we have coming in from a guy by the name of johnny cake Believe it or not, Boston, stand up. Hey, Bob. Hey, Johnny Cake calling up from Boston. Quick question in regards to work etiquette and bathroom stalls. Uh, used to be my biggest pet peeve when I would be taking a shit in one of the stalls and somebody would use one of the two stalls right next to me. Um, since then, though, I've noticed whenever I walk into the stall and somebody's already in it, within 10 seconds of sitting down, they're already wiping and getting out of there. So just kind of bullying um, in terms of getting them out of the stall. Am I being a dick? Love the show, Bob. Thanks. Well, for the listeners of the show, I, I got to let you know, regardless of what the question was, I had to take the question because his name was Johnny Cake, uh, which is just an exceptional name. Um, I don't really understand the question because I don't know if there's something that Cake is doing to get them out of the stall. Um, if there is, then absolutely. I think you're being a dick, Johnny Cake, without a doubt. And I, I, I don't know what you're saying, but if you did say something while somebody's mid shit um, and bullying the type of way that it sounds you're bullying, um, I would go into the same stall as you and take a shit with you if you were being that kind of prick. I mean, it's like somebody who comes next to you at the urinal, you know, you'll never understand why they came next to you when there's other urinals available, but I would never think to say something or question them on that. Um, so I got to be honest with you, Johnny Cake, I absolutely being a dick, again, depending on what you're doing, um, what type of bully ball you're playing in the stall, um, I say confirmed dick. Moving on here for the Ask Bob segment. Next question here coming out of Mississippi, M-I-S-S-I-S-S-S-I-P-P-I. Coming out of Mississippi, let's come in hot. Hey, Bob. Steve from Mississippi here. I got a quick question for you on golf etiquette. So my question is, what's the acceptable amount of time you can, you're going to spend uh, looking for your golf ball? You got the guy, and it's always the guy. You know, he's placing off the tee every time, and he's spending – half an hour it seems looking for his ball right he's never in the fairway and you're you're holding up the guys behind you you're off your game because you're waiting 10 minutes between shots and he finally does find his ball he's still looking for other balls there's not a ball he can't find that he doesn't want to bag he's got range balls going in the bag and and you're sweating it out so uh what's the uh what's the accessible amount of time you're going to spend looking for a ball i'd uh, love to hear the question on the show and uh appreciate it 
Um, also, I want to give you a shout-out and uh, thank you for the uh, phenomenal putter that I got. Uh, that fighter putter is really shaving strokes off my game. All right, Bob. Bye. It, just a phenomenal question there coming out of Mississippi. Um, yeah, the putter he's talking about, we've been doing giveaways on the Patreon, um, tailor-made spider putters, tailor-made SIM two drivers. Uh, we have a rep at TaylorMade that's really been helping out, um, and, and making sure that we're able to do a lot of giveaways on the Patreon to the people that get the extra bonus content, um, that pay monthly. So we've been doing driver giveaways, putter giveaways. We have the winner here from Mississippi of the putter, um, that we gave away a couple weeks ago. Glad to hear that that's shaving some strokes off the young man's game. Um, but in regards to finding the ball, um, the theory I like to use is if if your group is already at their next shot, playing their next shot, and you're still looking for the ball, that's when it's time to kind of throw the white towel on it. Um, also, we have the balls where if it's a ball that you know didn't go out of bounds and it's just thick grass, I don't mind you taking some extra time to look for that ball because you know damn well it didn't go out and it's somewhere in play. You just can't find it. Um, what really gets me, which what, what gets Bobby fairways going is the ones where it's borderline out of bounds or in, you don't really know from the tee box or wherever you took your shot. And then you go over and you spend five, 10 minutes looking to the ball. If you can't find it for five minutes, odds are that ball is OB. We got to keep it moving. But the ones where we all know that that ball is in play, I don't mind you taking the extra couple minutes to look for it. Um, and then the beauty of looking for your ball, Lord knows I've been there many times before, you find somebody else's balls. Someone else's trash is another man's treasure. The amount of balls I have in my bag right now from looking for my ball that went OB and then just happening to pick up other balls – Unbelievable. There's no other feeling like it, uh, but, but got to keep it moving to answer your question though. I, I just, if, if the people I'm playing with are already on their next shot, I keep it moving. I don't let them play that next shot without me being right there with them. You take the drop. Great question out of Mississippi. Congrats on the putter, big fella. Then folks, our last and final question coming out of Hawkinsville, Georgia. Let's let it rip. Hey, Bob. It's Hunter from Hawkinsville, Georgia. I just called in a minute ago. I'm at work. I had to hang up rather quickly. My boss was coming. Anyways, let's get through it. Let's talk about the most versatile casserole dish out there. Now, I know this show is all about the food, all about the love of the food, the love of the camaraderie around the table. Let's talk about the best casserole dish known to man, and that is green bean casserole. Now, personally, I could eat a quadruple stack green bean casserole all by myself, all by myself with no problems. I may feel sick after it, but it is worth it in the end. Anyways, it's that all your 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 meals, you know, you got you got Christmas, you got Thanksgiving, you got New Year's. I mean, Jesus Christ, you can even throw it in for the Fourth of July. You can throw it in for Halloween. It's just it's just an all around casserole dish now. I'd like to hear your thoughts on any casserole dishes that you're a fan of or if you just absolutely love green bean casserole like I do. Uh, Long-time listener, Bob, first-time caller. I was here before the podcast. I was here when you maybe had 375 followers on Instagram. Let's just keep it going, keep the content rolling. I love you, big fella. Hunter, we're happy to have you as part of the faithful there, big fella. Um, And and by the way, 
I mean, the dedication calling in from work to talk casserole uh, with the boss roaming around. Hunter, if you want to talk casserole, we're going to talk casserole. And here's what I will say in regards to, to casserole. First off, I agree with you, Hunter. I actually would take green bean casserole, I think, as my number one casserole. Um, but what I will say about the green bean casserole is that it's a shame. It's a crying shame that it is a holiday side. The only time you're seeing green bean casserole is on Thanksgiving. And I would like to call out to anybody out there to start normalizing green bean casserole. Somebody's got to do it. And if it's not going to be anybody out there, it'll certainly be me. It is time we start normalizing green bean casserole. It's a phenomenal side dish. Always has been but we only really get it once a year. It's only normalized once a year. That's on that's on Thanksgiving. It's a holiday side. And I got a problem with the holiday sides because the holiday sides are pretty much strictly holiday sides. Not all of them, but there's some good ones out there. Cranberry sauce. I feel bad for the people that love cranberry sauce. I like it. I respect cranberry sauce. I don't love it, but for the people that do love cranberry sauce, I feel bad for them because the only time they're really getting cranberry sauce is Thanksgiving, and I think that's a shame. I think people really enjoy white meat turkey, big, thick, dark meat turkey. They only really get it on Thanksgiving unless it's sliced at the deli, and that's a shame. We should normalize casseroles. Green bean casserole, not many people are out there doing it. You go to your girlfriend's for dinner. You go to your friend's house for dinner. Their parents are cooking. Very rarely, if it's not Thanksgiving, are you seeing green bean casserole. And I think that's an absolute crime and a shame. I really do. And the beauty of casseroles, right, is that nobody really knows what it is. People say casserole. That can mean many different things. Nobody knows. It's a total wild card. My mom's casserole is different than your mom's casserole. That's a fact. No casseroles are made the same. None. Different ingredients. Could be a totally different thing. There's all types of casseroles, not just green bean casserole. But we ought to start normalizing green bean casserole and normalizing it fast because we have been missing out on that 364 days out of the year. Phenomenal question coming out of Georgia. Um, Love you all. Love you all, folks. We appreciate the support. Long action-packed episode for Scalante was spectacular. Sign up to that Patreon. Get the bonus content. Keep it rocking and rolling. New merch, brilliantlydumb.com, out now. Grab your merch. Grab it fast. We finally got this right. Premium product, premium quality. Support the show. Support the rocket ship. Hop on the train now. Ladies and gentlemen, that does it here. For yet another episode of the Burnley Dumb Show, we love you. Have a damn good week. Stay humble.